My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now, the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. All right, let's start the show. Hey everyone, today we're discussing the general medicine specialty with Dr. Eugene Tay, who is a general medicine consultant. Hi Eugene, thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you going? Good, thanks. When did you decide that general medicine was for you? Um, During my training days, um, we do rotate a lot in general medical unit and um, uh, I was thinking initially of neurology, so general medicine wasn't my first priority at the time. And um, uh, and as as the years goes by, I I was really interested um, just more in the brain and the the, uh, the whole neurological aspect of uh, specialty. And and when I finished my basic physician training exams, and I decided, you know, maybe neurology is not my cup of tea, and things have changed along the way. Um, I love the whole holistic approach because you know neurology is very focused on the brain and and other nervous systems. But I found that um, I, I prefer a whole holistic approach with managing patients. So that's why I've got myself into general medicine after uh, my exams and uh, and yeah, even though I've put a lot of effort into um, um, getting myself into neurology training, um, I've decided yeah, at the end, general medicine is my my way to go. Yeah. And what kind of medical student were you in your formative years? Were you the type to be on the wards a lot? Were you the type mm. to be studying, just hitting the books a lot? And what would you recommend as well? <laughs> um, I think I was a medical student about 12 years back now. So memory's a bit vague on that. But I remember I was um, I was out partying a lot. No, just kidding. I, <laughs> I, was, I was actually um, quite a studious uh, person. I, I, I think... I really enjoyed medical student life because you still had the freedom of, um, you know, exploring and knowing what you want to do. Because, uh, yeah, yes, you got to study hard. You got to put all your, you know, uh, hard work and effort into it. But, you know, I, I think as a medical student at the time, I was just focused on trying to get through mm-hmm. all assignments and studies. But at that time, you you got to think about enjoying your student life as well. So I thought it was more of a bit of a balance of not um, being too studious as well as not partying too hard. But I'm not, the, the partying bit is a joke. But yeah, <laughs> I, I do I do enjoy my student years. And can you tell us a little bit about your journey so far in your medical career? So, um, so I've done um, three years of basic physician training. Um, I've completed my exams in 2010 and proceeded on to general medicine. Um, a lot of my time has been spent in Eastern Health um, in a training program. Um, it, it's all involved uh, with you know, lots of hard work as what we need to put in these days. Um, the, the career pathway itself, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's challenging, um, and I think a lot of it does require, um, you know, being you know tenacious uh, attitude to persist on, um, because there's a lot of barriers and hurdles that we got to go through in life. 
um, and and a career as well. But in terms of the general medicine uh, training program, um, it did involve three years of my my time. Uh, it involves projects, involves um, all the um, requirements I have to meet along the way. Uh, but I found it you know, enjoyable because if you do enjoy what you you know love doing, you you probably find it's a breeze and. This, this is what I do every day is my, my career now. There's no longer work for you. It's an enjoyment. It's an enjoyment, yeah. What, yeah. what drives you to work um, is, is pretty much what you enjoy doing day by day and you've got to look at it in the next 10, 15, 20 years of doing this yeah. thing. Especially given that, well, I guess, once you reach consultant status, you, like you say, you've probably got 20 years or maybe 25 or anywhere between 10 to you know, 25 years of doing sure. the same thing. Mm. So you've got to enjoy it. Mm. How important would you say other education in, is in A, becoming a good doctor and also progressing your career? So at the moment, we've got undergraduate students and postgraduate students. We've got opportunities to do BMED size. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, there's a big push for medical students to do research in order to be able to get places. Mm-hmm. How important do you think all of this is? Look, it's not just about studies and education itself. Um, yes, research is Playing a, oh, it's a big key role now to to get you, um, you know, to internship. There's all these, um, you know, extracurricular activities. Um, yes, studies, you know, is important. You need to get good grades. You know, that plays a big role. Um, I, I think it's just a balance of of being, um, you know, good overall, not not just in the studies or education. You say, um, yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, you know, it's other things like you know your your time and contribution to the society as well. So that they look at you know not just how good your grades are, what what you can do outside, um, you know, of your studies and what you've been involved in in terms of you know um, weekend activities. Um, yeah, so there's some altruistic um, you know contributions as well. So for someone, for example, who might not be that interested in research, mm. are they able to make up for the fact that uh, perhaps they don't want to do research by doing other things? Or is research kind of a box you have to tick? Yeah, re- research is probably one of the uh, requirements, requirements now um, to, to get you you know, even in, into advanced training now or before getting into advanced training, um, research plays a big role and, and uh, that's that's accounted for uh, as part of your whole selection process for advanced training, yeah, and and that's been looked at as well. And during advanced training, getting to uh, specialty, uh, sorry, into uh, into a, as a consultant, uh, they do look into your CV and see how much you know research and quality improvements you've done. Along and I the guess way. that's all part of I guess progressing the medical profession if, we, sure. if we're if not doing research then yeah. we can become stagnant yeah it's a lot of evidence-based medicine now so they sort of focus a lot on the um, yeah the, the quality improvements which does um, yeah does play a part yeah great mm. if there's any doctors you'd like us to interview or if there's any questions you'd like asked please shoot us a message we listen and respond to every single message that comes through. Now back to the show. How competitive would you say your field is at the moment? I think um, I think it is getting harder and harder to get into to general medicine. Um, 
previously is pretty much a specialty by default um, where someone couldn't get into their specialty of their interests. But as we're getting more and more um, uh, trainees, you know, completing the exams, uh, the the competition to get into their specialty training is getting harder. So uh, JMAT is getting flogged, as you can say, um, in the last two years, i say. And um, it is, it's quite evident even in our network here, we have um, more trainees than the training position offered for general medicine now. So I think in the in the near future, um, general medicine is going to be focused as an you know, important specialty. And uh, it's not just going to be a by default, you know. Mm-hmm specialty that someone couldn't get into their own so it's going to be something that you want to do from the beginning as opposed to a fallback yeah there, there are not many uh you know special uh, physicians like this who are just interested in general medicine but now it's been uh, looked at as, as something that's uh in a, a specialty that's very important um and of interest as well so and uh, most of the trainees come through now we've got about uh, up to about maybe 10 trainees now that's completed general medicine so far in the last three years mm-hmm. and pers- stayed on as a general physician from there mm. what would be the time frame for getting into bpt and also apt yeah so the uh, basic physician's training program is three years and then you've got your uh, hurdle to go through which is the written and clinical exams and then once you finish that um, that big hurdle that's where you're going to get into the advanced training which takes another three years mm-hmm. so it in, in, um, entails two years of core and one year of non-core and um, yeah so in total about six years six to seven years depending yeah, yeah. and in terms of getting into so uh, my understanding is that getting into BPT the bottleneck isn't there but the bottleneck is more towards the APT stage yes yeah. what uh, year level are we looking at into getting so for example in getting into APT so is it like a PGY 8 9 or uh, most most of them would would be getting into it by PGY 5 5 um, yeah so de- depending on the uh, you know the availability of the general medicine program um you know, we, we always encourage trainees to apply elsewhere as well because you just can't put your eggs in one basket these days. And yes. as I said, the availability of the uh, specialty positions are very limited these days. And what are your opinions on having to do uh, dual training nowadays? So mm-hmm. I've heard that it's no longer, I guess, uh, recommended just to do general medicine, but it's recommended to do other uh, another specialty such as respiratory or endocrinology on top in order to make yourself more favourable. Is is that the case? Yeah, that's it's still encouraged uh, for, for the trainees to to do dual specialty. Um, it's not frowned upon. Yes, the duration of the training takes about four to five years, depending on that second specialty you uh, you can undertake. Um, yeah, I think it's encouraged, but as I mentioned before, the to get into the, uh, the not into general medicine, but the specialty itself is actually a, the biggest hurdle even mm-hmm. to to uh, to get into. So, yeah, um, whether it's just in Victoria itself, um, yeah, that's probably the scenario these days. The general consensus seems to be that it's quite difficult to get into most specialties nowadays, mm-hmm. and that's probably due to the fact that we've got. 
we're training way too many medical students, but we're not actually funding extra positions. Mm. Is general medicine affected by this more than other specialties, or are all specialties kind of in the same situation? I think I think general medicine is not as uh, it's not it's not affected as bad as the other specialty areas, but you're right. I mean, there, there are many factors involved, including uh, number of medical students. Uh, there are not enough training positions. Um, there are more and more trainees uh, passing the exams. So if you look at the the um, the projected year from 2010 till now, we've got at least close to 800. Uh, trainees sitting the exams and you expect about 60 to 70 percent of them to get through the next stage and and that vast number of uh, trainees coming through uh, it just can't cope with the number of um, yeah uh, I mean with the number of trainees versus the uh, placement and and specialties allocated to them and I think this issue isn't really just for medicine because I mm. I, I believe that m- most healthcare professionals are in the same situation where there's way too many students and not enough jobs so I'm not actually sure what in the future what will have to happen in order for this situation to be rectified doesn't seem Mm. to be a clear solution for sure yeah what does your typical day involve so um, in my line of work I'm um, how how am I going to put this Uh, I'll say that it's busy. Um, most of my work um, starts in the morning, um, involves with my um, medical ward rounds, including clinics in the afternoons. Um, I'm more of a person who's been um, um, trying to keep myself busy. So I've been working really, really hard uh, with lots of hours. But my typical day involves, um, as I say, ward rounds, clinics, um, education with uh, medical students on the rounds, um, also involved in uh, quality improvements and uh, little projects that have been running as well with some of the advanced trainees. So it's a busy day, we'll say. It's eight to five work. Um, it's, it involves clinical and non-clinical, so it's a bit of a balance for, for those two work I've been doing as well. What does your non-clinical work involve? So my non-clinical work involves... Uh, 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 with teaching of students, third-year students, uh, supervising the final-year students. Um, as I mentioned, the quality improvement projects uh, that I've been doing as well with Eastern Health and, and with the advanced trainees. Um, yeah, I've been, I'm one of the organizers for the FRACP exams as well, uh, usually the first uh, half of the year. Um, I've been doing that for the last six years of my life, organizing that in Eastern Health. So that's part of my non-clinical work that I've been involved in the last six years of that. What uh, part of your day-to-day job do you find to be the most rewarding? Um, the, the most rewarding part is you know, getting your patients well. That's one, one thing. And... Um, uh, what drives me to work is, you know, the enjoyment of seeing interesting clinical cases, uh, you know, educating the you know, students I've been supervising. Um, yeah, that, that's, yeah that, that's part of my enjoyment and rewarding there in my work. I, I think it's just, yeah, getting to work and doing what I do every day. Mm. Yeah. 
And uh, conversely, what part do you find is the most difficult to deal with or the part that you struggle with the most? Yeah, I think traveling between sites um, does take up a bit of my time. And um, I do work elsewhere um, in private hospitals. So traveling from one site to another does uh, take up a bit of my time and it's it's quite physically um, tiring as well. That, that was probably the most difficult bit of my day. Now, one thing with medicine, it's mm. often difficult to cure patients. Sure. Uh, often you're just managing their diseases, states, and their symptoms and whatnot. So besides, I guess, maybe infections and surgery, there's not many instances where you're curing patients. Mm. And often with GenMed, because they are quite older, chronic, older patients yeah. with chronic illnesses, mm. often in nursing homes, they're often readmitted quite frequently. Mm. Is that does that become frustrating, or is that part of the job, or how do you manage that when you are trying to get them better, but they just keep bouncing mm. back? The the one I mentioned about curing them, they're mostly the younger cohort of patients, but the ones which you mentioned, um, majority of patients do um, have chronic disease, um, and it's actually a rewarding part where you know you can get it under control and watching them carry on with their day-to-day life uh, to have somewhat good quality of life uh, despite having the illness and chronic diseases. I think it's just to get them, you know, control. Um, as you know, yes, we have a big cohort of elderly patients in in um, this catchment in the eastern suburbs. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's not frustrating at all. I know, yes, they do represent frequently, but... You know, as a role of a general physician, you manage them holistically, not just their medical side of things, end of the day. And you also ma- manage their social aspects and some of the psychological aspects as well. I think that's one of the biggest uh, pros about general medicine, where you're not just looking at them in terms of that one broken leg or the one sure. infection that they have. You're mm. looking at them, like you say, holistically, yeah. which is really good. Uh, where do you see the field uh, advancing or changing in the next five to ten years? I think general medicine will expand further. Um, it's is you know it's a, a, a evolving. It's a very dynamic sort of um, specialty. Um, I think the five to ten years outlook. Um, I think the general medicine unit will will um, probably overtake you know most most of the other specialties. And you know as the specialty sizes shrinks, uh, the general medicine unit will probably be taking on a lot of the other um, um, you know specialty patients uh, partly also we've got a very um, aging population going on the next five to ten years and most of these patients will have end up you know as a chronic disease rather than the acute uh, sort of um, uh, medical side of things so if you look in the aspect, we'll be managing these patients more in a holistic approach, not just one um, one organ illness. So, uh, yeah, we may be managing pretty much head to toe. As it is, uh, general medicine is quite a busy uh, specialty, where and often general medicine's bed mm. card is full. If in the future we are taking on more of other specialties, people, does that mean that we're going to have to have a <clears throat> larger teams to deal with that? Or is that just we have to become more efficient with what we do? Mm, it's, it's all about, it's not about the number of beds end of the day. Yes, efficiency is important. Um, we, 
you know, as you, as we have more and more aging population, um, you know, the expenditure of other specialties like geriatric unit, uh, looking at an acute geriatric unit to manage this cohort of patients might be an option. Uh, but if if the general medicine expands into you know another bigger unit, it's it's not uh, you know it, it won't be a surprising thing at all. So mm-hmm. it, either way, we we manage um, you know even the geriatric populations here, um, not just the geriatricians, but we can do that pretty much um, in that area of specialty too. How much of the general medicine's work is inpatient versus outpatients? Mm. Majority of the work is inpatient. I would say about ninety percent. Um, I mean, it depends how much work you want to put into clinics as well. Uh, it, from one physician to another, they're, they're different. But most of my work is in inpatient unit, and about ten percent would be in outpatients. But I think that's uh, for, for me. That's going to change in the next two years or so. And what kind of uh, issues or conditions are you dealing with in an outpatient setting? Because uh, most of the people that we discharge from mm-hmm. a general medicine are asked to f- be followed up with their GPs and to represent only if their condition, mm-hmm. I guess, significantly worsens. Mm-hmm. So uh, the patients that we see in our outpatients are post-discharge patients, and we do get a few new ones that comes along as well. Um, they're, they're mostly stable chronic illnesses. Uh, it's a lot of you know things that we can be done as an outpatient rather than be done in the inpatient setting. Uh, it's more for the bed pressures that we that we um, do endure here in the um, public hospital. So in outpatient setting, it's a good learning ground for trainees and you know junior doctors to learn to manage um, their illnesses uh, in the setting. But most of these patients are quite stable and and um, yeah. And then most of them can be managed in our patient setting. Mm. How has your role changed going from registrar to consultant, and how does public and private come into it? So the, the transi- transition wasn't too bad for me uh, because I was preparing myself in that uh, final year um, to be a consultant. Um, it's just trying to psych yourself mentally to play a different role. Um, more of a consulting role and rather than micromanage in that aspect as a registrar you tend to be um, you know focusing into tiny details by everything but as a consultant you look at everything in a very broad approach and to be focusing on specific things that needs to be looked at while while patients in in hospital um, yeah so that, that transition is is um, yeah, it can be quite uh, difficult for some trainees to get into as well. But I think it's all about, you know, preparing yourself uh, throughout the training to, to to put yourself in the shoes of a consultant. And mm. how about the public versus private? Yeah, it, it's, it depends on um, individuals. Some, some of them will focus more on the public system, but... Uh, I'm kind of lucky to get into private as well in my first year um, consultancy. Um, it's, it, it works out well for me in the sense that I work um, week by week in different in different sites and that sort of um, works well for me. But I've taken up more private work now as a 50% of my time and 50% of public. So sometimes traveling does, um, does take a bit of a toll on you, but it's just got to balance 
how much work you put into the private as well so you're not going to burn yourself out yeah great please make sure to complete the survey for this episode we want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers it only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine the link can be found on our facebook and our blog how would you say your work-life balance is as a general physician? Um, it varies from one individual to another. For myself, um, I think most of my time involves with work now. And yes, I do um, take on quite a bit in the public and private work. But um, with the, the you know, the, you've got to have life as a you know, specialty physician because you know, you've got... Um, you pretty much got um, the luxury of deciding how much you want to put in into work and also how much time you want to have for yourself or your family. Um, I think um, as a junior physician or junior consultant in the last three years, we tend to to take on more and to say yes to most of the uh, work that's been offered to you by your bosses or uh, by your colleagues. Uh, But you know, as as time goes by, you you got to say no as well uh, to some uh, job offers. So you know you can give yourself some yourself some sanity time as well to to look after yourself and I think your family as well. I think it's very important. You mentioned that it's quite tiring going from different sites mm. and traveling to and fro. Are you able to make a lot of time for family and friends, or do you find that work kind of creeps up on that? Um, it, it depends how much workload you you take on, how many patients you have, and how complex you know these patients are. I mean that that's beyond your control sometimes, but um, I mean that's pretty much my eight to five work every day, and I'll still have time in the evenings and the weekends. Um, so it, it's just trying to balance your your time and your work hours uh, together. But some days I'll have um, three or four days of afternoon offs or even a week off in a month um, to, to spend my time with mm-hmm. them. I think it's... Um, yeah. And I would imagine as a consultant, you have a little bit more uh, control over how much sure. work you pick mm-hmm. up compared to, for example, a registrar. For sure, yeah. yeah. You, you have that, that luxury of control. Uh, for yourself, how many weekends, on, uh, weekends and on-call shifts... Uh, do you find is I guess adequate for you in terms of life managing life and work mm. okay um, I do two weekends um, in a month which includes the Saturday and Sunday um, I, I think that that sort of balance things out because you know, it, my weekend hours is not too long which is um, which is kind of good in a way that, that I will be out by lunchtime and I will still have time for for myself and family and um yeah uh it depends on how many hours we put in in a week uh as i say it varies from one mm-hmm. one physician to another but our model of uh gen Matt here is a seven day week service so uh, working both sites will take 14 days of my time but as i mentioned we, we still have the luxury of the afternoon uh off uh, because we're, we're rostered to a certain uh, hours in the day and uh, that will include some of the non-clinical hours included into it too, which might take an hour extra in the, in the afternoon, but uh, that wouldn't impact much. Mm-hmm. 
My understanding is that for uh, uh, doctors who go into private practice, sometimes it can be difficult taking time off because once you're in the private field, you're essentially their first, Mm. second, last port of call. Mm. And so it can be quite difficult to, for example, take a holiday or something because you can't exactly just shut down a clinic or yeah. anything because the, your patients need somewhere to go have you found that to be the case uh not in my case because um in the private uh, sector that i work in we work in a group of uh, four physicians so we we uh we have the three weeks in between the private work and we do not um um carry on with our patients uh, once we finish our time there so it's a handover process that we uh that we practice in our um you know, private work there. So it's it's not affecting the time off that I have. Is that something, yeah. is that a model that you would recommend to people? Uh, I would, there are pros and cons in it. Um, it depends on how busy or big the, um, you know, the unit is in the, in the private sector. So, um, yeah, I mean, it can apply to every private hospital, so, you know, uh, private physicians. And um, in the general medicine, we, we, we run as a, as, a, as a group, which makes it, you know, a bit easier to, to function more for your own uh, personal well-being to, rather than carrying these patients on and on to, uh, to the end. Mm-hmm. In terms of mentorship, mm-hmm. at what stage in our, me- our medical student life or in our junior career do you recommend we try to find mentors? And what kind of mentors should we be looking for? Mm-hmm. I think in your clinical years, it's important. Um, it, it's it's important. You want to find a mentor that can guide you in your career. Um, some some uh, the students will find um, mentors who you know in their specialty of interest that will sort of guide them to get into that specialty that they want to. Um, and also, you got to be comfortable to, you know, um, have a good rapport with your mentor as well. So it's all, you know, um, yeah, pretty, pretty much um, it involves, you know, who who, who you want to uh, be mentored by and, and, and what type of specialty and what sort of goals you want in life as well. Because the mentor will really guide you to, you know that that area that you're really interested in, and and guide you in your career and and lifestyle, and mm-hmm. um and and most of the students will look up to these mentors, and you know will um you know some of their careers will be changed based on what the mentors guide as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for a lot of students, they might or even junior doctors, they might not know what kind of field they want to go into, sure. and so they I guess a little bit at a loss, mm. and so finding a mentor that's in their field that they are sure. interested in isn't really an option. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, good enough just to get mentor, like I guess finding people and doctors and whatnot that you just look up to in general and what kind of advice would you be getting from them? Mm. So, I mean, you might not get the, um, the specialty of interest with a mentor. Sometimes it might be difficult if you haven't been in that area of specialty. Um even a, a physician who or a surgeon that you know that you look up to, if you build a rapport with, and you get along with, and this builds, you know, over time. I mean, for example, I, I've known one of a emergency physician for nearly fifteen years now since my um, clinical years. I mean, even even though he hasn't guided me much in the career pathway, but he sort of guided me more on the 
um, you know, um, in, in what to do, you know, especially in the internship and, you know, sort of guidance in what you need to do in your HMO years, your registrar years. So it's not more the, the, the career that he said, oh, you got to be an emergency physician. That's what you should do. But it's just more of, you know, guiding you what you need to do, how you need yeah. to do it in your, in your work. Yeah. And similarly, for those people who don't know what they want to go into, mm. do you find that to be disadvantageous? Because at the moment, given that everything's becoming a lot more competitive mm. and a lot more difficult to get into, you find that the uh, students and the doctors who do know what they're going to, from a very early point there, for mm. example, going in and spending extra hours at a particular, mm. uh, for example, in radiology or, for, for sure. example, yeah. or doing extra research that's tailored to that. But then the, the people who don't know obviously can't do that. Mm. So do you find that they're at a disadvantage? No, to, it's not a disadvantage for them who is unsure what they want to do in a specialty because once you get into the clinical side of things, you you got to test, you know, what, what the other specialty is like, you know. And um, yes, some people are very career-focused and knows what they want to do or they've been pressured or persuaded by their families or friends to get into that specialty. But I think it's all about, you know, Yes, to to be focused, but in the in you know, the scheme of things, if you're not too certain, you're not too at disadvantage because there are lots of other you know, opportunities in the specialty areas. Um, you know, from the internship time, you can slowly get yourself prepared into the areas of specialty. But if you're still uncertain, you know, you might do a couple of general years, and then you know, well, whether you like you know surgery or you like medicine or do you want to be a GP. So it sort of guides you in that aspect rather than jumping to something that you wouldn't like or regret later. Yeah, so it would be safe to say that your recommendation would be to explore and to really find what you want before and not True. just to take yeah. the first thing that comes out yeah. of the scare that you might not make it anyway. It, it depends on the individual. If you're you're very focused and you know you know what you want to do, yes, work on it, work hard on it and you know start early. But as, as I said, the you know, majority of us will be undecided until you you know, you're going to do internship years or, you know, second year of residency, then you, you know, you might start to focus what you want to do from mm-hmm. there. Now, what kind of people should do GenMed? Or if it's easier to answer, what kind of people shouldn't be doing GenMed? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, I mean, when you ask what kind of people, you mean more the personality or what type So, yeah, of, I guess um, like a personality or yeah. people, for example, you might say people who don't enjoy this aspect yeah. of the job really shouldn't come in. Yeah. Or Look, I think general medicine is a, you know, at a fast-going pace at this point, what we call acute medicine rather than general medicine these days. Um, I think someone who's, you know, who's got a general approach, a holistic approach to the patient, not just to their you know uh, specific organ illness as i said you know um not not having a tunnel vision on one aspect of of the medicine but looking at overall it's a very diagnostic very um inquisitive sort of specialty you know you're not just looking after one aspect of things but you know you try to um it, you know put things together and and uh, diagnose it from there so yeah but but uh, there's no particular aspect i mean the personality itself is all up to the individual how they approach it and doesn't matter you're introverted or extroverted makes you a better physician or not it's all about you know you got to have love and interest in what you you want to do sure and the last question i had is 
What advice would you have wanted to know as an intern yourself? Um, about career pathway, about, about anything. really anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, the, the advice probably, or you know, if if I was an intern, I would just want to know what the job uh, entails and what am I getting myself into and. You know, it, it, most of them you be, you know, you get the gist of it along the way in your clinical training and you know, from your seniors as well. Um, you know, it's always preparing yourself um, in, in in your, you know, in your career and in your work. You know, you'd be guided. You'd be, you know, you, you want some aspects of what your objective are um, in in the job itself that you're going to be doing. So, you know, to to. Yeah, to have that focus as well. I mean, interns these days they are of higher caliber, and um, things are changing as well. And and we do see uh, more and more postgraduates coming through, and they're, you know, we do see the maturity of the interns are very, um, you know, very high level. And um, you know, I think most of them, you know, learn, learn the ropes rather rather quickly these days. So rather than needing to be spoon fed. Mm-hmm. As I was in the past. Great. That's all the questions yeah. I had. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Ah, good luck to you all. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on to the no show. Worries. Thanks. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to keep in touch with us through social media. Our handle is at the Med Collab. That's T H E M E D C O L A B on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. All right, guys, see you next week.